James chapter 3. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature. Some translations say perfect. He is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us. We direct, the whole, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though they're very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large force. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I don't know how many of you are just taking the time to read through the book of James. This is an easy read. It doesn't take too long, no more than a half hour, maybe even less than that, if you read through the whole from chapter one all the way to the end of chapter five. But it's very, like I've been saying through as we've been going through this, it's very practical. In fact, it deals with a lot of the things that will help us be better Christians. Of course, in this chapter, uh, James comes back to a point that he made back in chapter one and verse 26, where in chapter one, verse 26, 26, he says, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. And he picks it up again in this chapter, in chapter 3, by telling us some things about the tongue. That the tongue, though it's small, it can be hard to control. Anybody got that? Understand that? Though it's a little member, James says, yet it is hard to control. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be because by the time we get to the end of the, the chapter here, he says there is a way to control the tongue. And just to give you a little preview, it's just the answer down there at the very bottom is going to be wisdom is the way that we control our tongue. Wisdom that is granted by God. The Holy Spirit will enable you and I to guard our speech. But before we get on to tell us here in the first few verses here in James chapter 3, James has explained to us two characteristics of a mature Christian. He is patient in trouble. That's number one. We learned about that. Amen. And he practices the truth in James chapter 2. So a mature Christian, as James is going to walk us through this, in the first chapter is patient in trouble. Count it all joy when you and I enter into divers and various trials and situations. But also, also count it that we practice the truth. We actually are doers of the word of God. So we are able to count it all joy, but we're also, a mark of a mature Christian is we're able to be doers of the word. Now, in this particular section in chapter 3, 
he's going to get to us the third characteristic. And you might ask, what is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. The third characteristic of a mature Christian, he has power over his tongue. Yeah, I heard a ooh father. Yep. Patient in trouble, practice the truth, and now we're going to deal with we have power over our tongue. I have this little story. A pastor friend told this pastor who was making us commentary. He says, a pastor told me about a member of his church who was was a notorious gossip. She would hang on the phone most of the day sharing tidbits with any and all who would listen. She came to the pastor one day and said, Pastor, the Lord has convicted me of my sin of gossip. My tongue is getting me and others into trouble. My friend knew she was not sincere because she had gone through that routine before. Guardedly, he asked her, Well, what do you plan to do? I will put my tongue on the altar. She replied with pious fervor. Calmly, my friend replied, there isn't an altar big enough, and he left her to think it over. (laughs) The tongue. James is going to tell us, man, like of all the members of our body, this one is a hard one to keep under control. James chapter 3, beginning with the first few verses there, he starts out by an admonition to those who seek to aspire to be teachers. He says, not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we receive a stricter judgment. Evidently in this church and probably some other churches, many aspire to be teachers of the word of God. That is something that you need to have much prayer and much commitment because James says, listen, evidently, and we pick it up again in chapter 4, this church has some problems with its tongue. And he's letting them know right off the bat, don't aspire to be a teacher right off the bat because, number one, he says, notice what he says, not many should become teachers, my brothers. Again, he employs to them that personal. Notice the pronouns that are here. He talks about my brothers. Not many should seek or want to become teachers. The second part, he says, for you know, that's in the plural, second person plural, you know, and that we. He says, not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that those of us, we who are teachers, will receive what? A stricter judgment. Teaching, even preaching, anything that deals with expounding and explaining the word of God, comes with it a stricter judgment. God will hold us accountable for the words that we teach and preach. And the reason why is because what we say is counted so heavily that people's lives will be changed for the better and then sometimes for the worse, all based on what we are communicating through our speech and through our words. So that's why those of us who are teachers and those who us, of us who Uh, preach the word of God, we have a stricter, we're accountable, but it's just not about teachers, because he goes on and he says, for we all stumble in many ways. It's just not preachers and teachers, but now he shifts and says, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect 
or mature, able also to control the whole body. Listen. If your speech is so correct, James says, if you are on point to the fact that you don't even, you've never really said anything out of context, well, guess what? That is the mark of a mature person. Not many are able to say that, but he says, listen, those who are able to do that, who are all stumble, they have the characteristics. If you've never offended anybody and by the speech that you have, then guess what? You and I could be able to say that we are mature. But I know for myself, I am striving to be more mature. I haven't got there yet. I always think of Sister Sarah Allen when she would say, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and approved unto thee, O Lord, in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be what? Acceptable to God. We got to watch what we say. And too many times I've heard people say, well, you know what? I just say what comes to my mind. I just, if it's in me, it's coming out. Well, that's not necessarily a good trait because some of the stuff that's in us does not need to come out. We need to guard what we say because in a, a word in the right place brings blessing, but a word in the wrong place can cause somebody to stumble and fall. But James says, listen, we all stumble in many ways. We is all inclusive, male, female, he, she, those persons. We all stumble in many ways. And if you haven't said, if you are able to say this morning that you've never stumbled, then God bless you and heaven smile upon you. Now, he says, but here's what I want you to know. There are a couple things you need to understand. There is power of, in the words that are spoken right. Amen? He says, in James chapter 4, here's, here's the example of words that were spoken in the right way. James, John, I'm sorry, John chapter 4 the woman at the well. You remember that scenario? Jesus comes along. There's a woman at the well. And because he spoke the right words, what did he say? Listen, if you want to have eternal life, if you want to drink of the living water, guess what? I am that living water. And he proceeded to have a conversation with her, which if you go back and you read the whole account, that was strange in of itself because he being a Jewish man talking to a woman who had that kind of reputation, the two should have never met. But Jesus' mission was bigger than what society and culture said. He shared with her a good word. And as a result of that good word, not only was she saved, but she ran back to her neighbors and said, come see a man. Come see and hear a man who told me everything that I needed to know about myself. And because of a confrontation, because of a conversation with Jesus, her life was changed. Word spoken in the right way. You and I would be surprised that we have opportunities every single day to say the right words to various people that may cause them, like this woman, to hear the words of eternal life. Acts chapter 2 is another example of words being spoken right by the apostle Peter. So right that on that day, the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up 
and preached the message, over 3,000 souls were saved. Wow. 3,000 souls saved. At what? The preaching, the right words being spoken to a group of people who had no clue about Jesus, but yet by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the power that Peter was able to stand to declare the word of God, 3,000 souls were saved. The story is told that there was a man that went into the shoe store back in 1871, and when he walked in, this, there was a young man in the store by the name of Dwight L. Moody. Anybody have ever heard of Moody Bible Institute? Dwight L. Moody? So this man walks into a store in Boston to get a pair of shoes. And while he's looking at shoes, he starts talking to young Dwight Moody and shares with Dwight Moody the gospel. To the end, by the time he walks out of the store, Dwight Moody became saved. He made a profession of faith to Jesus Christ. A right word spoken at the right time, God put it together, and the boldness of the man that went into the store to talk to him just said, simply started talking about Jesus. And because of that conversation, we call him D.L., Dwight L. Moody was saved. The results of which today, that campus, that ministry is still living and thriving in the city of Chicago, even today. A right word spoken at the right time time. Maturity would say, if I ask the Lord to guard my tongue, to help me say the right words, guess what? The right words at the right time. Even within our families, sometimes people don't need to be told what to do. They need to be encouraged. We focus so much on the wrong that we forget. Every now and then, we need to say, you know what? You are really good at this. You're really good at X, Y, Z. I appreciate you. I thank the Lord, even if it's a son, daughter, I thank the Lord for my brother. I thank the Lord for my wife. I thank the Lord for all of you that are here today. You didn't have to. You could have been in any other place. Probably if you were laying in bed when the rain was starting to start to come down, you were like, oh, Jesus, I got my spot. It's nice. I got that little nook and groove in the bed. Uh, yeah. But if I don't move now, I ain't moving at all. I thank you that you moved because otherwise I'd be standing here preaching to myself. And I need to preach to myself because I can stand this word that, Peter, uh, that James is talking about. He says, for we all stumble. But a right word. He is mature, able to control the whole body. He shifts to that and he gives us some examples. He says, now, I just want you to see something here. Just listen to these examples. He says, we are able, in verse number three, he says, now, we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us. We direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So, too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large force. He gives us three examples. He says, now listen, the tongue may be small, but it is influential. Three illustrations, the bit, 
and the horse, the rudder, and the ship, and the spark, and the fire. All three of these, all three of these are things that people would be familiar with. Number one, the bits that control the horse. You've all seen horses. Very few people are able to ride a horse bareback without something to put in its mouth to control it. You can hold on to the mane if you want to, but it's better when the, they take that metal piece of metal leather, place it in the horse's mouth so that they can what? Control the horses. Based on how they turn and how they pull the reins determines how that horse in the direction that horse goes in, which is amazing because I've seen some horses and some of them are a good size. I mean, look at, look at the Clydesdales of Budweiser. Have you ever seen any of those horses? Huge, massive, and yet back, each one of them is connected and each one of them has a bit in its mouth and at the back end of that is a person that holds the rein and is able to control those massive horses, all because of the bits that are in the horse's mouth. I know if some of you have been on cruises, massive ships, massive boats. If you've ever been down to the coastline and you've been in places, maybe Miami and other places, and you look and you see these gigantic ships sitting out there, and you wonder, how do they steer them? Well, at the back of the boat is what is called a rudder. And it's not that big, but its mission is to help the pilot of the ship. And that's what James says. Notice what he says. Uh, and consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. The pilot that's at the, uh, at the helm, at the very top of the boat, that's looking out and seeing where the ship is going, he takes that and uses the rudder to direct the ship to go in the right direction. Not a big thing, but it's a very important thing. Amen? A bit, a rudder, and then he talks about a spark and the fire. Well, we should be familiar with that as well. Why? Every now and then, out on the West Coast, somebody, somewhere, has a little fire. And what happens is a little ember, not big. Case in point, for those of you who were at the, at the bonfire many years ago, people were asking what happened. A little spark, I put the thing too close. A little spark went up into the air and came down and set some of the stuff ablaze. Not a big, and I didn't need a flamethrower. I didn't need something to, to strike matches and soak it in gasoline. Just a little thing went up in the air, and we watched it and got up into the trees, and all of a sudden, whoosh, a spark on the West Coast. Whether it be fireworks, whether it be somebody camping, a little spark gets away from the campfire, and the next thing you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of acres of land are destroyed by a small spark that somebody may accidentally have started, and sometimes there people have done it on purpose. Three things that are small, and yet look at the damage that is caused by these things. The tongue may be small, but boy, is it powerful. The contrary forces. Listen, bits control the nature of the horse 
for the rider. Those bits, the horse's nature is to run free and to run wild and to be free and do, and do its thing, but that bit controls it. The rudder, though the winds and the currents help move the ship along, yet the rudder controls the whole ship. But the human tongue, that little thing that's inside your mouth and my mouth, that human tongue, we must learn to overcome all the contrary forces. What are the contrary forces? Number one, the old nature. That old nature that lies inside of us sometimes causes us to use our tongue in the wrong way. Not only do we have the old nature that wants to control us, but at times we find ourselves in circumstances that would make us say some things we ought not to say. So we got the old nature that we're battling, but we also have the circumstances of life. So things come up, and guess what? Whatever is in will eventually what? Come out. So we might find ourselves in a circumstance. Late one night, maybe late last night, early in the morning, you get up, you're going to the bathroom or you're going to get a glass of water, and you do the thing that causes trouble for me sometimes. I got up the other night and I stumbled. The reason why I stumbled, I didn't see my dog laying in the middle of the floor. I got up, I walked around the bed. And now, depending on that, or depending on every now and then I've hit something, the corner of the bed, the bedpost at the bottom, the bottom rail. I have to take a moment and try not to cry and try not to say something I should not say. Because at that very split second that I hit it right between my toes or whatever, writhing pain is shooting through my leg up to my brain. And I go, ah! Again, small situation, small circumstance of life. But that old nature is always there. Anybody in here have problems with the old nature every now and then? That rises up from the inside. Okay, somebody someone said no, we don't. Okay. I'm glad. Well, I do. That old nature, if I don't have the power of the Holy Spirit and really read up and prayed up, the old nature comes out. And that's what he's trying to tell us here. The old nature wants to control us. It wants us to say and do things that aren't right. It wants us to let our speech not be correct and not be right. And even the circumstances of life, depending on where you are and what happens to you, you might get some good news, you might get some bad news, something might be negative, and you, you find yourself caught in a circumstance, and you might find yourself saying things that you and I ought not to say. Somebody does something against you, and instead of saying, I love you, you say something else. The sin that's on the inside and the pressure that's on the outside are seeking Together, to get control of our tongue. You got that? Sin on the inside, pressure on the outside, are seeking to get control of our tongue. And that's all James is saying. He says, if anyone does not stumble what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us. We direct the whole bodies and consider ships 
Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So, too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how small, how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs 18.21. If you have time and you want to increase your Bible study, go to the book of Proverbs. It's a great book. It's called the Book of Wisdom. Proverbs 18 and verse 21 really says, speaks to our tongue. What are we talking about? The, the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love, it will eat its fruit. Key part is death and what? Life. The tongue can both bless, but it also can what? Curse. Amen? Go with me to Psalm 141. The 141st Psalm. And let's look at verse 3 and 4. The Psalm 141, verse 3 and 4. Good words, good words. What does it say? Lord, set a guard for my mouth. Keep watch at the door of my lips. Do not let my heart turn to the evil thing or perform wicked acts with men who commit sin. Do not let me feast on their delicacies. Lord, don't allow, don't let my heart not be turned to do what? Evil. Or perform wicked acts with men who commit sin. Remember what I told us, the old nature and circumstances are against us. Last but not least, Matthew chapter 12, New Testament passage. Matthew chapter 12, and verse 34. Matthew 12, and verse 34. Jesus talking about the tree and its fruit. And here's what he says. Brood of vipers, how you speak good things when you are evil. For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. For out of the heart proceed what? The issues of life. Whatever is in the heart. Not that little thing that pumps blood, but in the heart and soul of us. If we're not prayed up, if we're not studied up, guess what happens? It can very easily come out. And at times, it will find its way out. Got it? I think of many times when he talks about, listen, and he even tells us in this chapter, in this book of James, he says, listen, here's the simple fact. How, how is it 
that out of the same mouth on Sunday morning that praises God, that raises hands and says glory and amen, how can that same fountain walk out these doors and before we even get in our car or before we get home, or maybe by the time we get home, we find ourselves saying some things we ought not to say. He encourages the church. He says, brothers, these things ought not to be. Brothers and sisters, that, 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 that ought not to be our conversation. If we find ourselves praising God on Sunday morning, and before we get home, or because of a circumstance that happens when we get home, we find ourselves saying some things we ought not to say. That ought not to be. Especially when we have people around us who don't know Jesus. Because they can't understand it. Wait a minute. You, song, you sing a song about I lift my hands in the sanctuary, and now you're going to lift your hands and hit me upside the head? How does that work? Explain to, explain, how are you going to explain that to God? How are we going to explain to God that on Sunday morning we can read the word of God and we, the words that come out of our mouths are so are full of blessings and, and praises, and then something happens, and we get home and we find ourselves saying some things that we ought not to be saying. And that's all James is trying to get us to say. Look, it's a small member in there, but boy, does it can it and does it do a whole lot of harm. It's best to be quiet and not say anything than to say something and cause harm and destruction. And that's all James is trying to tell us. He says, listen, my brothers and sisters, don't strive to be a teacher because there's a stricter judgment. And if we can use bits and if we can use a rudder and if we can, a small ember can cause such damage, we need to realize today that the tongue can cause a whole lot of damage. Guard our words. Guard our tongue. Maybe the best practice would be that before you and I speak, maybe we should bite our tongue. Yes, somebody said, ouch. Anybody ever bite their tongue? I know I have, and it's not comfortable. But maybe it's better for you to be uncomfortable and have somebody than to say something to somebody that you and I ought not to say. Amen? James says our lesson today to take home, not just today, but for the rest of the week and the rest of our lives is guard the words of our mouth. Guard our tongue. If I can speak, and most times my dog obeys, I need to work on my tongue so that it obeys and speaks words of blessing and words of encouragement and words that will cause blessing in the lives of others. Amen? That ought to be our goal, that what we say will impact others to the point that their lives will be different. Father, we thank you for your word.